In the year of 1950, once Pete Coltnow had graduated from college, he needed to get from New York to Yuma, Arizona, where he was due to start a new job. He had little money and no car, so he began his travels hitchhiking nearly 2,500 miles across the country by flagging ride after ride from complete strangers. During this time, he sent postcards to his girlfriend, Dot, updating her on his travels where he explained he was back to the bumpy seats and open roads. It only took a few days for Pete to finally arrive at Yuma, and years later, this series of postcards he had sent to his girlfriend had become part of the Smithsonian Exhibition on Transportation History, a reminder for the world to look back on a mode of transport that has almost entirely disappeared. To hitchhike, a significant amount of trust is needed within both parties. You do not know whose car you're getting into, and they do not know who they're letting inside. Neither know what secrets the other holds, whilst remaining sat in such close proximity. My name's Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is The Vanishing Hitchhiker. Cars seem to have become a common setting for urban legends, and this could be for several reasons. It could be due to it being a place we should consider safe, as mentioned before in previous episodes, an extension of our home. Or perhaps it is that it is used to travel to places, both recognisable and completely unknown to us, where anything could be lurking in the darkness. As motor vehicles became more and more a part of our lives, The scary stories involving cars have exploded alongside them, expanding on the haunted house tropes as we now take those spooky tales with us as we hit the road. When a hitchhiker appears as a character in a story, it is so often played out to have a sinister turn. Whether that be for the hitchhiker themselves, or for the driver that decided to pick them up, the fears of hitchhiking have spread so deep into our societies. The culture of hitchhiking itself was almost exclusively associated with North America as a means of transportation for those without a vehicle. Now, it is different. Although not explicitly banned on all interstates, there are laws in place that prohibit pedestrians from walking alongside the roads, meaning it is now far more difficult to hitch a ride. Other states have taken this even further, making hitchhiking officially illegal, whilst others have banned it only on highways. It was in the 1960s and 70s that laws began to change. The FBI even released a poster in 1973 warning that the potential hitchhiker you decided to pick up could in fact be a sex maniac or a vicious murderer, whilst other campaigns focused on the risk to women, going as far as suggesting that if you were to pick up a hitchhiker, or to hitchhike yourself, and anything was to happen to you, you would have no one to blame but yourself. Police officers at Rutgers University even handed out cards to hitchhiking women that simply read, If I were a rapist you'd be in trouble. With this new concept being pushed by law enforcement, mixed in with the horror movies that played on the dangers of hitchhiking and the high-profile murder cases that had risen in connection to the act, it seems that the eventual consensus was that hitchhiking was simply too dangerous to do. And inevitably, it died out. 
In reality, the limited studies done suggest that hitchhikers are in no way represented higher in criminal incidents than any other group in the world. Although, this is ultimately irrelevant as the fear of hitchhiking did not come from statistics of crime, but the very notion of putting yourself in the hands of a stranger. We tell our children not to talk to strangers, to keep them safe, even though reality tells us that they are far more likely to be abducted by family members who are the culprits in an overwhelming majority of cases. It is the fear of the unknown, the anxiety that comes from not knowing anything about the person you are sitting right beside. It is different to be on a train or a bus, as you have space and are not alone. In a taxi, there is at least some form of evidence to show where you are. It is this element of a stranger that feeds the fears of hitchhiking. It is the unknown thoughts in their minds, the unsaid words on the tips of their tongue, the hidden intention behind their eyes. As a hitchhiker, no matter what statistics say, you'll never truly know just how exposed you've allowed yourself to become. You'll never truly know who it is in that vehicle with you. In my telling of the story, we join Mike, who is heading home after a long week away with work. The sun fought to stay up that night, holding onto the sky as long as it could as it reluctantly dozed off to sleep over the horizon of the west. The blues above were quickly fading along with it, turning to a navy and seeping into the blackness of the east. The roads twisted and turned through the large trees that covered the hilltop that Mike was driving down, his headlights creating a shadow that danced amongst the branches as he headed home from his long, tiring week away from work. Although he was keen to get home, he was in no rush, enjoying the soft song that played through his car speakers as he sang along under his breath, enjoying the atmosphere of the twilight air. He was quite content, tapping his fingers on the steering wheel while sipping at the milkshake he had just picked up from the fast food restaurant at the last services he passed. He would be off again in a few days, but for now, work was over, and he felt nothing but peace, unaware that this comfort was about to be changed forever. As he turned down the winding road, now venturing downhill, he felt a cold shiver down his spine. It had not been a warm day by any means, but once the sun's glow had left him, what little warmth it created had left with it. He leaned forward and flicked on the heating of the car, allowing the hot air to seep through the plastic shutters in the dashboard ahead. But as he looked up, something strange caught his eye. There was a girl, no older than 17, standing by the side of the road with her hand out, seemingly trying to hitch a ride down the hill. Not only was it a strange sight to see a young girl alone in the woods past sunset, it was strange that she did not seem to be dressed for the weather at all, wearing a pale blue dress that stopped just above her knees. He watched her slightly as she came into the light of the car headlamps, automatically slowing his vehicle down as she turned to look at him. For a moment, it was as if they were looking directly into each other's eyes as he drew closer. She seemed to stare straight at him as if she could see him clear as day even though he knew there was no way she could see him in the shadow of these woods behind the glass. He was so distracted by this that he hadn't even noticed that she only had one shoe, a white plimsoll on her left foot, the right standing skin to dirt on the rocky roadside. There was no mistake that something was wrong here. Mike flicked off the radio and stopped the car beside her, instantly flinging off his seatbelt and jumping out of the vehicle. 
As he stepped closer, he noticed drying blood that had poured from her head and down her face, curving her beautiful large brown eyes. Assuming she was in shock, Mike kept his movement calm and his voice steady as he asked, Are you okay? What happened? The girl had not moved the entire time he had seen her. Frozen in place, only her dark brown eyes followed him, studying every step that he made, but finally, she spoke. Thank you so much for stopping, she said in a slight daze, almost as if she was reading lines from a page. She gently lifted her arm, pointing her hand into the trees ahead and added, I crashed my car, and I can't get in touch with anyone. Mike turned to the trees she was pointing at, but could see no sign of an accident ahead. Regardless, he knew she needed help and was clearly confused. Okay, do you want me to take you to the hospital? He offered. But to his surprise, she replied, No. Instead, she asked him if he could be so kind as to take her to her parents' house. Not wanting to be forceful, but in full understanding that she had clearly banged her head and was not in the best state of mind right now, he offered an alternative. I can take you to the hospital and then let your parents know if you'd like. A sudden hit of sadness began to morph in those big brown eyes as she opened her mouth again, this time slightly trembling with each word. Please, she said. I just don't want them to worry. She turned to face Mike head on for the first time since he had gotten out of that car, and to his surprise, she smiled and reassuringly whispered, I'm not in pain. Mike watched her for a moment, unsure on what to do. This wasn't a situation he imagined himself being in moments before, drinking his milkshake and singing away to music. He knew that she needed a hospital, but he wasn't going to spend the night arguing with her, nor was he about to lie to her, and so he agreed, hoping that she'd be taken straight there once she had been reunited with her family. He nodded his head and spun around on the spot, flinging open the back seat of the car, telling himself that if he was going to waste time taking her to her parents, he would do so quickly at least. He watched as she slowly stepped forward, the muddy sole of her right foot crunching against the stones below as he cringed, curious by her lack of reaction to anything going on around her. She slowly sat down in the back seat and he closed the door behind her, empathizing with the shock she must be in before taking a deep breath to calm his own nerves. In a few moments his night had changed course completely and he had found himself feeling somewhat in shock himself. He jumped into the driver's seat and fastened his seatbelt while studying her in the rearview mirror. He watched as she delicately fastened her seatbelt into her buckle before taking a slow breath, as if controlling her own nerves. She looked up, her big brown eyes staring directly into his once again in the reflection of the mirror. He did not look away. He simply nodded his head and smiled reassuringly, noticing her worry. You're going to be okay, he told her with a gentle tone, before turning the ignition of the car. As the engine rumbled, The song began to play once again, startling him slightly, unwelcome in this new direction the night had taken. He instantly leaned forward to turn it off, but before his fingers could reach the player, the young girl's voice from the back seat gently asked, Can you please keep it on? Wanting to keep as much comfort for her as possible, Mike pulled away from the player and nodded his head before beginning to drive. The blues of the sky were now nothing but a slight shade of royal blue, just about visible in certain areas of the blackness that had now engulfed the wooded hills. Mike was now focused on the winding road ahead, occasionally glancing into the rearview mirror to ensure that the troubled hitchhiker was still awake. It had occurred to him that he'd seen no sign of an accident, and he had begun to question the authenticity of her words. The slight niggling feeling of it being a trap had begun to seep through his more wholesome thoughts. 
he had heard of tricks laid out on the roadside. But then again, when he was out of the car would have been the perfect time to pounce and yet nothing had happened. With all of these thoughts running through his mind, he hadn't noticed that she had begun singing. Only quietly and only for herself. But her soft voice echoed along the gentle song that played through the speakers around them as she watched the trees go by out of the window. You have a nice voice, he told her, happy to see she was coming out of her shell that little bit more, even if it was only ever so slightly. Thank you, she replied. I like to sing. Mike took a moment, hesitant to ask the question that was on his mind, but he knew if her parents had questions, it'd be better if he was able to answer with some form of clarity. What happened? he finally asked, if you don't mind me asking. The girl didn't look away from the window, continuing to watch the trees fly by as they continued down the large hill. I was driving too fast. I slipped and I crashed, she replied through a slight whisper. Were you alone? he asked. Luckily, yes, she responded before she did something that seemed to surprise them both. She smiled. I only just learned to drive, she added, slightly laughing under her breath. Mike gently laughed with her, more than anything just happy to see her show any form of emotion, something she seemed unable to do up until this point. He found himself feeling relieved with a strange addition of pride, proud of her strength in such a horrible situation. You should have had a few more lessons, I reckon, he replied, flashing a cheeky, playful smile in the rearview mirror, now seeing that she was watching him back once again. She smiled in return, both finding comfort in the light-heartedness of the conversation. That was until the glow of the streetlights began to emerge ahead as they finally arrived at the bottom of the hill, heading onto the road of the town that sat beneath it. The girl instantly turned her head to the window once more, admiring the lights in awe. We're back in town, she whispered to herself. Yeah, yeah, we're nearly there, he replied reassuringly, looking down at his phone that sat on the dashboard, guiding his way to her address on the map. He looked up to the mirror once more, happy to see her mood was changing, but what he saw was something different entirely. She had now pressed her hand up against the cold glass, watching the lights of the town fly by with such admiration whilst her eyes filled with tears. He didn't say a word allowing her to have a moment to herself, unsure on whether she was relieved or frightened, overwhelmed with happiness or grief. He focused on the road ahead as he heard her soft voice once more whisper into the air, talking to nobody in particular, as she said, I was so scared. With only a minute to go on the map, Mike remained focused on it, ensuring he made no wrong turn and incidentally causing a delay in her reunion. We're nearly there now, he reassuringly said as he turned down the small roads, venturing deeper into the housing estate. Just one more road. Finally, he turned the last corner, where the map confidently announced, you have reached your destination. We've made it, he said proudly as he pulled over by the side of the road, but she didn't respond. He flicked off the ignition and looked up to the rearview mirror, expecting to see her young face looking back at him with a hopeful smile. But instead... He saw nothing but shadow. He instantly turned in his seat, flicking off his seatbelt in a confused panic, checking to see if she had fallen asleep or slipped to the floor, but there was nobody there. He didn't understand. Where could she have gone? How could she have gone? He jumped out of the car and paced to the back seat, flinging open the door. The seatbelt was still buckled, fastened to the chair, but still, there was nobody to be seen. 
This isn't possible, Mike thought to himself as he slammed the door shut, jumping to the back of the car and flinging open the boot to ensure she hadn't slipped inside, but again, nothing. Just a suitcase from his trip. He stepped out onto the road he had just travelled down, lit only by the streetlights that spread alongside it, but once again, there was nothing. Nobody to be seen. She had vanished. He turned to look up at the house she had taken him to, now wondering who she was and why she had asked him to bring her here. He had to get an answer of some form. He was now feeling as if he was losing his mind. He paced forward, heading towards the front door in a frantic fashion. He knocked and waited, in his mind pleading that somebody would answer and make it all make sense to him. The door finally opened to reveal a middle-aged woman in a dressing gown, clearly in the midst of a wind-down in front of the TV after a day of work. She watched Mike for a moment, confused by his presence, saying, Hello? In a way that worked as both a greeting and a, Who are you and what do you want? Unsure on how to explain the situation, he thought it was best to just speak and hope that somewhere down the line she understood his point. My name's Mike. I've just had your daughter in my car. She said she's been in an accident and I brought her here to you, but when I pulled over... Mike stopped talking, noticing the woman's heartbreak as she shook her head. Why do you do this? she asked. Mike didn't know what to say. He stood confused, unsure on how to respond to her whilst watching the tears fill up in her eyes. Why do you people find this funny? She continued. It's disgusting. You're disgusting. Mike, in his ever-growing confusion, decided to respond, telling her he was unsure what she means, expressing just how confused he was by what on earth was going on. She ignored him, unwilling to listen to a single word that came from his mouth, a look of disgust and utter heartbreak dimming her dark brown eyes. Before either of them could continue, a middle-aged man appeared in the hall, pacing up the hallway and taking her away, whispering to her as he gently escorted her into the living room. Mike stood in the light of the doorway amongst the shadow of the garden. He turned back to his car that still sat empty, the backseat seatbelt still buckled securely. The man appeared once more, slowly edging to the front door and stepping outside, pulling the door to behind him. He nodded at Mike, flashing him a look of sympathy and understanding as he stepped closer to the nervous driver. Come with me, he calmly said as he stepped further into the shadow of the garden, heading to the road. Mike slowly followed. You're with my daughter, yes? He asked. Mike nodded his head, that morphed to a shake as the confusion of his situation remained bouncing around his mind. Yes, he replied. I mean, I was. I I don't don't know where she's gone. The man looked into the backseat of Mike's car, noticing the handprint against the glass she had created not long before, and gently placed his own upon it. Every six months or so, Someone comes knocking on our door and tells us the exact same story. I don't know if you're the victim of a disgusting prank or you're in on it yourself, but if you're telling the truth, whoever it was you had in your car was not my daughter, he explained. This did nothing to help Mike's confusion as he shook his head once again, almost as if refusing to allow his mind to register the explanation he had just been given. Why would someone pretend to be your daughter, he asked, growing frustrated by the lack of clarity he was receiving. The man let go of the glass and sighed, because people are messed up. My daughter's been dead for four years. She died up that hill in a car accident. Now, I'm sorry that this has happened, but that was not my daughter in your car. With this, the man instantly turned, hiding his tearful eyes from Mike as he paced up the pathway of the garden, saying his goodbyes with, 
and I'll thank you not to come back here again, before stepping into the house and closing the door behind him. Five minutes or so later, Mike remains sat outside in his car, studying the web on his phone, desperate for answers. The curtains of the house had not twitched, the door had not moved an inch as the parents of the girl remained inside. Finally, Mike had found what he was looking for. Studying the obscure news pages of the local newspaper about a tragic accident that killed a 17-year-old girl up the hill four years prior. It was there, in the glow of his phone, sat in the driver's seat of his car that his eyes began to widen as his thumb scrolled down further to the picture of the tragic girl. The very girl that had hitched a ride with him earlier that night. UFOs and cryptids. We also have mad hauntings. We got security. No, we don't. We're not big enough to need it yet. No, we got security. Hey, what are you guys doing? Get out of here. Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond Beyond the Shadows. Urban legends tend to only appear in obscure locations. They're always just about vague enough to create difficulty for those who wish to check up on their authenticity. Just like those we've already covered in A Stranger Calls and The Lovers, always happening in a close-by but far enough away nameless town. Other legends are locked in place, allocated to specific coordinates in the world, like the legends of Springhill Jack, Bigfoot and Mothman. Legends like that of the Vanishing Hitchhiker are rare entities. Like A Stranger Calls and The Lovers, they could happen anywhere at any time. But with this legend, the location is often as specific as the tale itself. It is able to bounce from place to place depending on who it is that's telling the story on that occasion. This specific allocation of a place allows the legend to root into the ground and sprout into a fully-fledged local legend for the townsfolk nearby to share. They are unaware that the same legend, albeit with slight variations, is being told throughout the world. When hearing the stories involving babysitters, most of us over a certain age listen as an outsider looking in. If you want to put yourself in their shoes, you have to make the decision to do so. With Bloody Mary, you have to actively call her out for her arrival to come. But for the vanishing hitchhiker, you merely need to do what most of us do every day. Travel. My version was but one of many iterations of the story, focusing more on the eerie aspect of the tale of the ghostly encounter, keeping it simple and spine-tingling. Although there are many versions of this tale, so many that I won't be able to cover them all. There are ones involving premonitions, prophecies, cemeteries, nightclubs, nuns, priests, horses and more. There are those that trail off into the more dramatic aspects of storytelling and ones that end in a whimper. 
Although the flesh that covers them varies and are dressed up in many guises, their skeleton underneath consistently remains the same. The appeal of the story of the vanishing hitchhiker most likely lies with the meeting itself, with the ghostly encounter occurring not because our lead was out searching for a spirit, but because the spirit itself had come to him. The encounter was a curveball in a mundane situation, and that makes us wonder what we would do if this would happen to us. The lead of the tale being an innocent bystander, a normal man driving home makes this a story that any of us could lead. We have all seen people by the side of the road in our travels. This legend plays on the thoughts that ask, what if that person you pass wasn't really there at all? It seems that many small communities have taken this legend and claimed it as their own. An example of this happened to me in person, as I told a friend I would be covering this legend in the first episode of season 2. She told me that this was in fact a local legend that she had known since childhood up Bluebell Hill in Kent, England. To her, this tale was a local ghost story amongst the towns in the area. Even she was completely unaware that this legend spread far beyond the borders of Kent. What's worth pointing out is that even in these smaller communities where it is far tougher to hide in obscurity, the driver of the legend remains nameless. Sometimes they are given job titles in a doctor or a taxi driver, but they are never given anything that would lead to potential confirmation of the tale. This also includes the full name of the ghostly spirit itself. You would think a tale so outlandish would garner some form of attention, and yet both characters of the story remain nameless in their tellings thus feeding into the mystery even further. This remains the same across the board in all legends. Unless they are handed common first names that change from tale to tale in an attempt to humanise them without ever allocating their existence to any real person in the world. There is of course, always the exception that proves the rule, in this case being a version told in Hawaii, where the tale itself has been morphed to fit the culture, with the natives of the land changing its story to the guise of an old woman carrying a basket. An old woman that is supposedly the human form of the goddess Pele. The climax of the mysterious story of the vanishing hitchhiker is the shocking twist at the end of the tale. It is haunting for several reasons. Firstly, it is the otherworldly strangeness of the situation. Second is the tragedy. The fact that a young girl had died on that hill where she now remains, lingering in the cold. Thirdly, and I would argue mostly, it is the fact that he did not realise that the person he was talking to was dead. It plays on our mind as we imagine the notion of those that we briefly pass in the darkness of the night. Perhaps we pass the spirit ourselves and was completely unaware. Even as a non-believer in the spirit world, I find the notion fascinating and haunting in a way that can cause goosebumps to appear under my skin. To better understand what a believer may feel at this concept, I have a question that I've asked myself before. A creepy concept not because the question itself is scary, but because the probable answer is yes. And that question is, that in your lifetime, do you think you've ever been within close proximity of a murderer? It is the eeriness of a stranger, an undoubtable wariness of the world that has always been in our hearts, doubting the agenda of those around us that we do not know. Much of this is what leads to nationalism, racism and several forms of hate, the mistrust of those around us that we do not know or recognise. Perhaps this is why in the modern telling of the story, it is often mentioned that the hitchhiker is beautiful. This adds nothing to the story and whether she's attractive or not holds nothing to the relevance of her death. Perhaps it is simply to juxtapose the darkness of the situation, simply adding to the eeriness. 
or maybe it's to justify why the driver pulls over to begin with. In truth, they're all factors at play, as well as her beauty making the tragedy of it all that little bit more heartbreaking. Not only were they innocent, they were also beautiful. It is playing on the halo effect, a term in psychology used to label the ways in which we perceive attractive people, with a study showing that a good-looking person in a photograph is often assumed to be an overall good person. This is exacerbated by the constant use of scars, marks and disabilities in the villains of movies, whilst our attractive and good at heart hero defeats them and saves the day. This overall distrust of people around us modernised the legend in some parts of the world, causing it to transform into something else entirely, one that scraps the notion of a lost spirit and replaces it with real life troubles, a dark confirmation of the fears we have of any hitchhiker's hidden agenda. The story follows a man who is driving down a long winding road when he notices an old lady with a basket, dressed in a long ankle length skirt. He pulls up beside her and offers her a ride, but as she gets into the back seat of the car, he notices the cuff of a pair of trousers she's wearing underneath her skirt. Does it get very cold around here? The man asks her, but she doesn't respond. You have on flannel trousers, he adds, trying to get a response from her. It is here that the old lady, who is really a man in disguise, pulls out a gun from his basket and holds up the driver to rob him. This tale seems somewhat unrelated at first glance, apart from the obvious hitchhiker elements. Although, when you break it down, it is once again a case of taking in a helpless woman in your car, only to find that all was not as it first seemed. As previously stated, this version of the tale works more as a warning of strangers, to avoid them and be wary of their intentions, replacing the eerie mystery with a dastardly plot. Perhaps another reason the legend of the hitchhiker continues to persist through the ever-changing world is that it triggers a dilemma within oneself. If you were in that person's shoes, would you lean into the feeling of wanting to be the kind person that would help someone lost at the roadside? Or would you leave them, distrusting of the unknown intentions that person may have? Does our inability to trust the reliability of strangers make us unreliable in ourselves? With hitchhiking now a rare occurrence and an overall understanding of the dangers of getting into a stranger's car, the reality of this situation doesn't seem to present itself in a setting we would find ourselves in. With this growing less and less likely each year, perhaps this will lead to the story evolving once again, becoming more a tale amongst Uber drivers in the future. That said, in the past there have been several accounts of the ghostly variant of this legend occurring in real life. Some of these have led to investigations into the authenticity of the alleged events, but they always seemed to turn out to be nothing but wild exaggerations or flat-out hoaxes. People trying to spice up the narrative of the town, wishing to be part of something bigger, attempting to be the person pulling the spooky strings, to be the man behind the curtain. In 1941, Rosalie Hankey was gathering materials for her studies into the legend that apparently took place in Berkeley, where this modern interpretation of the vanishing hitchhiker was allegedly first told. In this version, the automobile crash in which the hitchhiker had died happened in 1935 or 1936, at the corner of College and Bancroft. When Rosalie checked the Berkeley City records from 1934 to 1937, she found that only a single accident involving personal injury had occurred at that corner during the entire five-year period, and that was non-fatal. I believe a similar outcome would occur if we were to study the history of most of the apparent locations of the hitchhiker's presence. 
So why don't people check before passing on the story? Put simply, it's just far more exciting to believe. In 1942, American folklorists Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey collected as many accounts of the vanishing hitchhiker as they could to analyse them. Their survey elicited 79 written accounts of encounters with vanishing hitchhikers from the USA alone. In their findings, they found what they claimed to be four distinctly different versions, distinguishable because of obvious differences in development and essence. The first of these four variations was labelled as a story where the hitchhiker gives an address, a location where the motorist will learn that he's just given the lift to a ghost. Many variations of this kind happen in a very similar way to the tale I told, only branching into different directions at the end. One of the alternative endings involves a man answering the door, explaining that the girl who the driver had picked up seemed to be his daughter. She had disappeared years before, last seen hitchhiking on that very road, and this day would have been her birthday. This version elicits the notion that perhaps whoever picked her up on that fateful night did so with ill intentions, leaving her to die on that hill where she now remains to repeat the same journey home that she never finished and now, never will. Another variation of this ending is one where the spirit itself is confirmed. The driver knocks on the door, only to be told that she died years prior. They tell the driver that he was in fact the seventh person to come knocking on that door claiming to have picked her up, but every time, she fails to reach the house. The aforementioned confirmation is for the driver and for the audience that he was not seeing things or imagining the situation, but that this was a haunting shared with several people passing through the location. It also adds an extra stab of heartbreak as we imagine the sadness of the spirit constantly trying and failing to make her way home, also unearthing the utter pain that those at home must feel, being reminded for the seventh time that their deceased loved one was still trying and failing to get home in the cold darkness of the night. The second common variation of the legend is one where the hitchhiker is an old woman who prophesizes disaster. This version was prominent among societies for some time with a strong urge of willingness to believe. A ghost story that was born out of anxiety and wishful thinking of a terrified, furious nation. It was in the USA, immediately after the attack of Pearl Harbor during the Second World War, that a story spread fast of a man who had picked up a strange woman in his car. Once he arrived at her destination, she did not disappear, instead offering to pay him for the petrol that he'd used to drive her. He refused his token of gratitude, and so she offered him something else instead, to read his fortune. The citizens of the US would tell each other this legend with hopeful whispers as they shared the tale, telling each other that the woman had told the man, there will be a dead body in your car before you get home, and Hitler will be dead in six months. The man brushed it off as the ramblings of a strange woman and continued with his journey through the night, but it was here that he came across a car accident with a seriously injured man inside. In his panic, he took the man and placed him inside of his car, rushing towards the hospital to get him help, but by the time he had arrived at the destination, his injured passenger had died. The implications of this variation of the urban legend was told with hopeful glee, working not only as a spooky story to share amongst friends, but one that suggested that very soon, this horrifying world war would be over. 
This version itself held strong as it spread across the country, word of mouth taking it from household to household, hitchhiking to each town to spread its tale of a premonition and its optimistic outcome. Soon it was appearing in gossip columns and being widely circulated through every state in North America. The power of wishful thinking is not to be underestimated, it seems. The third common variation is that of a young woman who is picked up from a party and leaves the vehicle with the driver's coat or other item of clothing, often to help keep her warm. An iteration of this third variant follows two men having a beer in a bar where they meet a young woman. She asks them if they'd take her home as she lives in the same neighbourhood as them, and she, in keeping with the legend at hand, gets into the back seat. This night is very cold, and noticing she is shivering, one of the men offers her his overcoat to wrap herself up with. It was when they were drawing closer to their street, passing by the local cemetery, that she asked them if they could stop for a minute. They pull over and let her out, watching her disappear into the darkness. They wait for some time, confused by what's happening, but allowing it to run its course. After a while, a niggling feeling begins to grow inside of them that she has snuck off and left, stealing the overcoat as well. They grow irritated and get out of the car to look for her, heading deep into the cemetery. It is during this process that they eventually find the overcoat, draped over a headstone, one with her name on it. The fourth and more outlandish common variation of the legend are those where the hitchhiker is revealed to be of a divine nature. One tells the story of a woman and her auntie who is a practicing nun. They are heading down a long road when they pick up a hitchhiker. In this version, a rarity occurs, where the person sitting in the backseat of the car is not a young girl, or even a woman, but a man. He asks the two women if they have heard the gospel and if they know Jesus Christ. Once they respond, he simply says, he's coming soon, and vanishes on the spot. The two women, confused and shaken up by the occurrence, take a break in the closest service station and explain what has happened to them to the gas attendant that comes to them. Strangely, the attendant isn't surprised by the story at all, and explains that at least 20 people had reported the exact same thing. This religious version of the narrative has many variations in itself, whether it be Mormons, nuns, or a mysterious stranger with a knowledge of the word of God. What is most interesting about the religious aspect of this variant is that, although not proven to be connected at all, a story eerily similar to the legend is found within the Bible itself. It is amongst the pages of the New Testament within Acts 8, 26-39. This is the story of Philip, who is picked up by an Ethiopian man who is driving a chariot. During their travels, they discuss religious matters and eventually, the Ethiopian man asks to be baptised. Philip agrees, and performs a baptism before vanishing. These more religious versions of the story serve a different purpose than the eerie tale of those that surround it, with these aiming to confirm the faith of the believers, reminding them that God has not forgotten them and that a plan is still very much in place. Many elements of the story of the hitchhiker go deep into the history of European folklore, with some stories traceable as far back as the times of the Greeks and Romans, with many of the spirits told in their ghostly tales haunting the roadside in some capacity. It seems that the stories of lost souls on the road have existed almost as long as the roads themselves. It appears to be a perfect setting for a spooky sighting, 
Whilst we focus on the road ahead, sometimes daydreaming more than we should be, we sometimes see things in the corner of our eye, wondering what on earth it could have been. At times, we find ourselves on roads that hold that spooky atmosphere upon them, and we can never really explain why it is. It just seems that certain roads hold a presence about them that can cause an unease amongst travellers. With this, it is easy to see why this feeling could correlate with the notion of a spirit standing by the roadside, watching you pass. Although the world is full of multiple variations of the legend, cousins rather than daughters of the story that began in Europe so long ago, the tale as we know it now remains a part of modern folklore, a young story with glimmers of the past in its narrative, sharing the DNA of its ancestors, but growing to very much be its own tale. Several variations of an ancestor to the legend is in the late 19th century, back in 1876, taking place within a horse-drawn carriage in a time before motor vehicles dominated the roads worldwide. The tale was even known to span across the Western Hemisphere, venturing deep into the East with a tale that holds a number of similarities taking place in China. The Chinese story goes that a beautiful girl was walking with a young man along the road to her parents' home. As the man walks, the young girl walks behind him, mirroring our version of the girl sitting in the back seat of our driver's car. Eventually, when the man arrives at the house he was walking her to, he turns to find that she has disappeared, and upon knocking on the door, just like so many iterations of the vanishing hitchhiker, the father explains that she had been killed in the spot he had found her in, and that her spirit had led him to her home. The latter half of the 19th century also held ground to another version of the vanishing hitchhiker, where she would hop a ride on the back of a horse, although the hitchhiker was instead known as the ghost rider, where she would suddenly jump onto young men's horses as they would pass a certain woods near Delmar, New York. It wasn't until the men would arrive at the destination where the ghost rider, who was as usual a woman, would disappear. She did have a reputation as being an envious spirit, but although she caused frights and mischief, she was known to do very little harm by riding behind the young men and causing a fright. As time went on, it seems as though the story of the spirit in the carriage or on the back of a horse or travelling by foot had evolved with the times, becoming a passenger in the back seat of a car, taxi, ambulance or bus. It seems that although this legend may spawn in different parts of the world, wearing many faces and sharing different messages, his skeleton remains intact, ever-changing alongside the world that evolved so rapidly around it. Like an ever-existing soul, the story is able to change through experiences, from a dark narrative to a bittersweet tale depending on whose lips the story passes, depending on who has summoned the story's spirit once again. The story itself appeals to our joy in being spooked, finding exhilaration in the horrors of the unknown just as long as it remains at arm's length. Although the spirit in this story is more often than not relatively benign, and even somewhat helpful, the twist ending still evokes that shiver up our spine as it's such a sudden hit of otherworldliness in such an everyday setting. Before I end this dive into the history of the vanishing hitchhiker, I will share a story that I found that, although remains distant from the roadside, it has enough of the story's DNA to be worth a mention, a distant relative of the hitchhiker's tale. That is a story published all the way back in 1824 by Washington Irving, titled The Lady with the Velvet Collar. Originally titled The Adventure of the German Student, the tale concerns a young student who lives in Paris during the French Revolution. 
It is on one late stormy night that he's walking past the dreaded guillotine when he spots a beautiful, dishevelled woman dressed in all black with a velvet band around her neck. She is sitting on the scaffold and weeping into her hands. The young student takes pity on her, assuming her to be a homeless aristocrat whom the dreadful axe had rendered desolate. He speaks to her for a time, before taking her back to his lodgings. With his young mind, he decided that ceremonies of marriage are superfluous bonds for honourable minds, and thus the young woman stays the night. The following morning, the young student ventures out to find a new home for them, as his poor room was not going to be suitable for two. But unfortunately, when he returns, he is horrified to find that the lady with the velvet collar is dead. Terrified and confused by her lifeless body, he summons the police who arrive in a state of great shock and confusion. Great heavens, cries the officer. How did this woman come here? Do you know anything about her? The student eagerly asks, desperate for a greater understanding of what may have occurred. The officer looks him in the eye, unsure of what to make of the situation, and finally says, This woman was guillotined yesterday. With this... The officer steps forward and unties the velvet collar from around her neck, which allows her head to fall free. It rolls straight from her shoulders, onto the bed, and finally hits the floor below. The student, believing he had pledged himself to a fiend, bursts into a frenzy, losing his mind. He then spent the rest of his days in a mental institution, never to be the same again. Urban Legends is written and produced by Luke Mordew. Research by Victoria Lebrec, in association with Mordew Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp with additional sounds from storyblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and delve into the mysteries of our previous and future episodes. If that's not enough for you, then join us on Patreon for hidden episodes, extra content and a chance to vote on what legends we cover. If you have the ability to rate and review on your podcast provider, please do. Every positive review helps us climb the ladder to a larger audience. If you cannot, or if you just want to spread the word of the work we do, feel free to recommend the podcast to your friends and family. The more we grow, the more legends we can dissect. To find out more, visit lrmordew.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ULpodcast, on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast, or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast. 